Good weather and time off from school? It's time to get the ball rolling on planning a fabulous summer. Whether it's a family vacation at the beach or throwing the best wedding ever, a personal loan from Delta Community Credit Union is the perfect fit to make your summer dreams come true. Delta Community offers low-rate personal loans that give you next-day access to the money you need for whatever you want, even paying off high-interest debt. Talk to the folks at Delta Community Credit Union today or learn more at deltacommunitycu.com slash personal loans. Delta Community is federally insured by the NCUA. Wake up and rock with Hooker and DB. Uh, I need to direct your attention to the Hooker and DB Facebook page. Okay. If you head over there right now, you can watch a woman. Uh, her name is uh, Miss Olsen, and she just used her thighs to break a world record. Whoa. She smashed three watermelons in 7.5 seconds. That beats out the previous Guinness World Record holder, Olga Lashuk from Ukraine, who Ooh. did it in 14.65. Matter of fact, her seven and a half second triumph mm-hmm. bests the the dude's world record. Mm. And, are, and Olga, widely considered mm. to be the Conor McGregor of the thigh watermelon crushing world. Yeah. So if you'd like to see, this, she's the sea biscuit of watermelon thigh crushing. She really, really is the Tom Brady, the Muhammad Ali. <laughs> yeah. She's all of you them. Get it? Wrapped into get one. It. Wrapped into one. Crushing watermelons with her thighs. Want to see her do it? It's available for your mm. viewing pleasure now. At uh, our Facebook page, just look for Hooker and DB. You'll see it. It's worth it's a watch. pretty. It's pretty hot though. I'm you're gl- you're going to want some privacy. I'm going to honestly. I'm glad the 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 award is back in the United States. Time for your man up moment of the day. It's getting hot out there, people. You may want to think about cutting off that hair, especially for Locks of Love. It's a great organization. Mm-hmm. I donated my hair to that one time. Um, especially if you're a dude in his fifties with a ponytail, maybe you should just, I'm not telling you to do anything, but maybe just think about it. Maybe you donate that hair for a good cause. Renee Strahler just did. This lady had ankle length locks. Oh my gosh. What a nightmare. She Can had, you imagine? Can she, you imagine? She's been doing this since the nineties, but she's snuffleupagus, bro. <laughs> it cousin it. Uh, she let it grow for quite some time. As long as she's ever let it go. Five feet of hair is what she had. Ew. Normally, it's, normally people make it to about 14 inches and then donate it. She sure. made it that long. This way, they can make various lengths. She donated to a cause by the name Wigs for Kids, which gets free handmade real hair wigs to children who are suffering from hair loss, whether it be some sort of medical treatment or something mm. like that. So uh, kids can now get uh, different sizes, lengths, or whatever they want. So they uh, feel a little bit normal like everybody else for a while. That's Dude, awesome. Can you imagine growing your hair out for five feet? No. The no. daily care, how long it takes to wash that day in no. and day oh, out. That's, that's, that's hours every day. I got a friend, uh, Steve, who famously rocks his long, long butt rocker, nice. long hair. And it's a uh, what up, Steve? And it's a uh, Steve Brown. Uh, and it's a uh, it's a whole process. It, <laughs> it is. It's a uh, Ruby Joe. It's, when it's I met- a whole big thing. Dennis's yeah. mom. When I met her, she had uh, waist length hair, mm-hmm. and it, that took hours to dry. She had to fan it out on the pillows. To- yeah. I'm a part of something similar. I donate back hair to a charity that makes fake beards for wannabe hipsters. It's a it's a very niche. Is there it's a very, time when you stop giving no, money? No, no, bro. Is this twenty four seven with yeah, you? I'm basically Mother Teresa over here. This next story is for our active and retired military that happen to be listening right now. You should probably get a kick out of this, and it's good to know that the German military is sometimes just as ass backwards as ours is. Uh, Germany, their military is pulling out of Afghanistan in a couple months. Okay. Yeah. 
But the uh, German commander in Afghanistan also banned recently the consumption of alcohol for security reasons, which has resulted in a pileup. See, he banned uh, the soldiers from having it. Turns out they were still shipping it to Afghanistan because every German soldier is allowed two cans of beer a day or the equivalent. So they got a boatload of beer, wine, and mixed drinks just stacking up at the military base. Oh, no. So they're trying to pull out, and they they can't leave all this behind. It's a Muslim country. They don't drink, so it's not like they can sell it locally. Oh, no. And my other favorite part of the story is it can't be destroyed for environmental reasons. Sure. You can't dump that much beer in a lake and kill all the fish. We need to bring landfill in on this one. They got 60,000 gallons of alcohol just sitting around. What are we going to do? 60,000 cans of beer. Luckily, they found some dude back home who was like, all right, I'll come get it. So he's going to go. Some guy's coming in to pick all of it up. And he's going to pay to extract it. And then. Uh, Is he driving from Germany to <laughs> Afghanistan? I think they're going to fly. I it didn't out. realize there was that kind of infrastructure <laughs> over there. No, I think he's probably going to fly it out, but. Uh, I don't know, turn it into novelty beer and sell it. This is the stuff that's left over. But okay. I, I just thought it was hilarious that the, the commander said no, but somebody back home didn't get the paperwork. So they kept sh- shipping booze to Afghanistan. When you're downloading apps, make sure you double check what you're downloading. A new report says uh, basically 2% of the top 1,000 apps in the Apple App Store right now are scams just to take your money. What does that mean? Like they don't Um, even do anything? They don't do what they're said to do or they steal your information or what have you. Um, That almost happened to me because I have the TV in my bedroom was was a Roku TV. Uh I bought it used off a friend. And you can, it didn't come with a remote. So like we lost the remote a long time ago. Well, there's an app. So Mm -hmm. I, I tried downloading the first like... One I did didn't work, and there's a bunch of fake. There's like a couple Roku, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you got to get so the right one to turn, one turn my phone into the remote, and then I realized this isn't what is going on, so I deleted it right away and found the real one. But yeah. Hey, this doesn't work on my TV. What, my checking account's empty? <laughs> hey, my checking account is blinking. Uh, anyway, so just so I know, you know, out of, what, two out of every thousand or hundred or whatever, or just keep an eye out, just try to keep you all safe, so just double-check. Google the company real fast and make sure yeah. it's legit. That's okay. what you got to do. That's it. That's annoying, too. It's it's annoying how everything is an app now. Yeah. And now every store that I shop at, you have to have an app. Like, get out of here. I don't even I don't do them doing? anymore. I don't, I get doing? tired of it. Yeah. Oh, by the way, in case you're wondering, that'll never happen to me. Oh, really? Last year, $48 million was bilked out of unsuspecting people downloading the wrong app uh, and getting their money stolen. Uh, so it God. is a thing. Just uh, want to keep you abreast of the situation. You said to me earlier, while we were jamming some tunes, that you had an epiphany yesterday. I did. I had a, I had a, a moment of growth yesterday. and A, a and moment a, of clarity, as they were said uh, Pulp Fiction. You know what? A little moment of wisdom. And uh, to, just to put everything in perspective, okay. so I shared with the Rock family uh, just after Mother's Day the what happened to my mom's headstone, the like, yes. uh, the how it... It got hit by a vault truck, knocked over, broke in half. was a horrible, huge, traumatic thing that, for me, when I found it. Right. So I've still kind of been dealing with that, like trying to organize getting it fixed with the people and everything. So I was dealing with that okay. a little bit yesterday. All right. Which left me feeling a little bit, yeah, vulnerable, a little emotional as yesterday okay. afternoon. The, the nerves were rubbed a little raw there. Uh, exposed. Yeah, I was just a little, I was like... I felt a little thin by yesterday afternoon, gotcha. e- emotionally. And uh, so it's summertime, and the living's easy. And uh, my, uh, the boy, Connor, my son, Connor, and I 
Our, uh, right down the street from the pad is uh, one of these public pools. Yeah, yeah. So we go hit the public it's basically pool. basically your pool, man. Yeah, just call I it. mean, come on. Yeah, I just invite all these moms to come hang out. Dude, there is so much comedy that happens at a public pool. So very much comedy. So much, like from Viagra guy last year that I was telling you about. Right. To hairy Russian guy, like, staring down my wife's breasts mm-hmm. uh, last year as well. But yesterday... So this phenomenon occurred. Uh, three teenage boys totally out for a stroll and feeling their young, vibrant power. Sure. If, yeah. you're, if you're picking up what I'm putting yeah, down. Yeah, totally. One kid had an Iron Maiden t- t-shirt on, okay. feeling very rock rebellious. Mm-hmm. Another kid had like a long sleeve, like corduroy dress shirt on, but uh, but open and the sleeves rolled up. No extra, shirt underneath? Yeah. And the sleeves nice. rolled up extra high. Yeah. Uh, and then the third kid, I believe to be the leader of this group. Uh-huh. And, and all, dude, and my leg is bigger than all of these kids. Uh, this kid had a black long sleeve t-shirt on that in white block letters said, Mr. Big D is back in town. <laughs> Mr. D, Mr. Big D, yeah. Wiener Word. Uh-huh. He spelled it out. The D I, you know what? Uh-huh. Right there on his on his shirt, <laughs> just walking around. And you know this guy, he's so proud. He's so proud. He's being so rebellious. He's such a hard. Oh, he's offensive, and I don't care. I don't care, Dad yeah. or Rick. Rick, my, you're not my real dad. You're not my dad, Rick. You're just my mom's boyfriend. So these kids, dude, it was. And this walker, I hope you're offended. Yeah, just told. I mean, strong. No, I remember. Like uh, I've seen him. Like, I've been. I've like, been that dude. Like three little Conor McGregor's walking yeah. around the pool yeah. with that strill. Okay. And, and at first. My first thought was, mm-hmm. well, this little jerk with yeah. his offensive T-shirt, there's kids and families all around. Right. That was my first first thought. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm like winded his hair. I always feel anger first. Right. And uh, <laughs> that's a deep cut. For yeah, it is. yeah, it is. <laughs> and, uh, but then I, I paused just for a moment because obviously I'm not going to do anything. But I at first I was like, this little son of a gun with his offensive T-shirt. And then a, a calm just kind of washed over me. Okay. As I remember my younger days and my favorite offensive t-shirts and how powerful it made you feel. That just great it was. And I was like, you go on, kid. You go you enjoy your offensive. Let him slide. Yeah, I was just like You yeah, let him go. I just I was like, good for you. Good for you and your offensive t-shirt. For everyone who has ever showed up to a house party with the shirt on that says, I'm just here for the gag bang. Yeah. <laughs> Do it for everybody. <laughs> like, so at first I was like, this kid. Sure. The disrespect. How dare you? We're in, but she's with her children. And then, but that receded. And all I felt was like, good for you, little guy. You go on. You go, you go on with your offensive T-shirt. Everybody remembers their first real offensive T-shirt <laughs> that you had to wear. And you wore it with pride. It was silly. It was stupid, but you did it. Yeah. I know. I remember that. And I never really had the guts. Like, I never rocked one with an F word. No. But, uh, I mean, because that's excessive. I feel like that's a bit much. Mm. But uh, this kid, man, he was in his zone. He, he was feeling it yesterday. <laughs> He was strolling around the pool like he was Brett Favre. (laughs) (laughs) Wake up and rock with Hooker and DB. Let's do a little quick little check, shall we? A little are you weird real fast about spacemen 
Do you believe there is definitely or probably intelligent life on other planets? I do. Uh, as well. Only uh, I was shocked to say 61% of people agree with you and I on that one. Mm. Which there's a lot of people who definitely don't believe there is any other life out there anywhere. And that's cool, man. To each, yeah, sure. I mean, to each your own. doesn't matter. I'm just saying mm-hmm. I think it's weird that they, the possibility doesn't exist for that many people. Uh, do you believe the government isn't being honest about what they know about UFOs? 100%. I think they keep secrets yeah. for sure. Uh-huh. I think some is for national security. Some is probably for our own well-being, I would assume. About, or, or they think they're doing it for our own well-being. About as much as I don't believe my wife when she says that our sex is, it's good. No, it was good. It's good. No, it's that good. was good. That I love was it. good. I love it. I no, love it was it. good. It. it was good. I got mine. Shh, shh. The game's on. Shh. 65% of people believe that the government isn't being honest. Yeah. Duh. That's what governments do. So 35% of people are believing? Uh, well, uh, it comes down to this. 11% of people think the government is being completely honest about what they know. One in 10 people are like, yep, it's 100% they're telling the truth. Mm. They're not keeping anything from us. I got some oceanfront property <laughs> in there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't want to burst those people's bubble. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What, I don't know. I don't know do you anything. think they choose to believe it just because it's easier? I think there it's are a lot of people that. that choose a lot of things like that. I think there's a lot of people that just decide to be pie in the sky, very positive, mm. eh, it's going to be all right kind of people and- and I also think there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. If you're, if They're make, probably a lot happier than I am. <laughs> I think if you make the choice to do that, like you've looked at it, you're like, you know what, I'm going to, that doesn't, I'm not going to let that affect me. I'm not going to worry about that. I respect that choice. Me too. I think respect. that's a very principled person to be able to choose, uh, you know, what they let into their head, you know, to be like, nope. Nope. Hold on. Scary aliens. Nope. Don't need to think about that. Nope. 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 All right. Now the big question. What? Have you, DB, coworker, companion, friend, have mm-hmm. you ever seen a UFO? I have not. I've I've seen something that I can't explain one time right. when I was very young out camping. Uh-huh. But uh, I can't. Uh, no, I don't. No, I don't know. I saw a weird light. That's it. I thought I saw something once, but mm-hmm. I don't think it was a UFO. No, I think it was something no. playing a trick on me. Like my mind playing a trick. They just left, so I guess I wasn't attracted. <laughs> like, they weren't attracted to me. I know it's not aliens because they didn't pick me up, man. Have you seen this? Like, you don't want this? They just scanned me, and they're like, nope, this guy doesn't wipe good enough. <laughs> we don't want to poke anything down no, there. No, this guy's a sloppy wiper. No. Move on. on. Move on to the next scout troop. We can find a better hairless monkey somewhere well, on this, this planet. Camp Tomahawk's a no-go. Let's take it on down the creek to Frontier. By the way, 19% of Americans say they have seen a UFO. 100% know that they saw an unidentified flying Dude, object. Baker Mayfield among them. Shaquille O'Neal is among them. Yeah. And he was with other people. He's got collaborators mm-hmm, that say that what he mm-hmm. saw was what he saw. So there it is. I don't know. What's Baker Mayfield's story? I he saw a UFO. He was like cruising around somewhere. I don't know where he was out in the Midwest with that hottie patati Baker Mayfield old lady of his. Yeah. And uh, they saw a UFO in the sky. Wow. All right. Cool. They were driving, I think. Maybe she didn't see it. I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure if her head was Her vision resting, was obstructed. Resting on his shoulder or something. I don't, I don't know. Okay. But, uh, yeah, Baker saw it. Well, he wouldn't lie to us. All right, here comes your tacky trash news flash. Another lover edition. There's a lady by the name of Elizabeth Lindsay. She recently went viral on the TikToks for posting photos 
that she received from a woman who was sleep. Uh, she received gifts from a woman who was sleeping with her husband. Oh, well, that's thoughtful. Usually, when you find out your husband's cheating on you, there's a little bit of rage and hurt and anger and sadness that goes about. But and felonies. Well, Elizabeth figured it out, and turns out her husband has actually been lying to both women. The girl had no idea that he was married when they hooked up. He was keeping the whole thing a secret, so she sure. couldn't really be mad at this other woman. Totally. Recently, uh, they got each other cookies with funny little messages on it to send to each other about, uh, it's the anniversary of me leaving my husband, so she sent out these cookies about uh, um, things like, uh, sorry for shagging your husband, Oh, sisters before vertically challenged misters, which is just a shot at the old guy right there. Vertically challenged? Yeah. Oh, I love that they're both coming at him. Coming you at- guys both obviously liked him enough to hit it. Both of you were sleeping with him, but now you want and to make fun of him. And one of you married him. <laughs> anyway, there you have it. I uh, guess all's fair in love and war dude, and tacky trash news. You do not want two ladies tag-teaming up on you. Oh, my gosh. I can't think of anything more terrifying. I mean, this is the stuff they'll release on social media because that's a public forum. But the stuff they're plotting behind his back oh that they're gosh. not telling anyone oh my about, gosh. Da- the dark arts are at work, my friend, Ooh. are at work. Wake up and rock with Hooker and DB. First, we got to get into what is becoming quite the little escondolo with the Floyd Mayweather, uh, Paul Logan Paul fight. Terrifying. Have yeah. you seen the clips floating around online uh, that perhaps Mayweather did connect with him, and as Logan Paul was going down, held him up with his arm. That he was a little bit. Uh, that Paul was a little bit in and out of consciousness. And held him up for a little bit, yeah, to yeah, get, his, yeah. his, get mm-hmm. his legs back under him. So. Uh, he wouldn't get the knockout, or at least the knockdown. I haven't seen the clips. I did read the story. Um, I don't believe that, because I think if Floyd... It really looks like he does, though. I mean, I know. Go ahead. I would think that Floyd would want to knock him out if that was... You know, that would have been a better fight. It would have been a better... Everyone would have been much happier with it, I feel like. Why, if you knocked him out, why wouldn't you just let him go down? I don't know. I didn't see, so I'll have to defer to your... Uh, it does look like he connects. His Logan Paul's head goes down, and because his arm is right there, uh-huh. he like cradles it in... Mayweather cradles his head kind of a little bit because his whole body slunches over, mm-hmm. and then Mayweather kind of hold, and then wraps him up a little bit and kind of holds him for a minute. So it does. it's suspicious looking for sure. And then what Mayweather said after the fight, also a little weird. Take a listen to this. When it comes to legalized bank robbing, I'm the best. Yeah. Yeah. It was a giant money grab. A lot of people totally. are they're now thinking, mm, maybe this was kind of worked out ahead of time. Well, I thought he meant because, you know, he's the, a champ and Logan Paul isn't a boxer. That's what I took from that. I, I But again, I haven't then seen why, that. Clip. Why didn't he say that then? I don't know. It was weird. It was weird. It was weird. It's weird all the way around. So um, check it out if you Google it. Dude, the, the clips are popping off everywhere. You'll find it everywhere you look. Uh, you tell me, did he fake it or not? Was it more reality show than exhibition match? I don't know. I don't know. I love the way you worded this, by the way, buddy, <laughs> when you posted on, on uh, Facebook. So, since we just watched the greatest sporting event ever, <laughs> talking about the Mayweather-Paul fight, uh, it was hilarious. Would you fight a celebrity? Yes. The exhibition matches are starting to become the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, sports uh, reality shows are what I'm mm-hmm. calling them, because I think there's a lot of production and scripting going on mm-hmm. in them. Uh, what, uh, who would you fight, man? If you could do a celebrity DB, big time radio guy steps in the ring mm. with who? Okay. Now this is going to, this kind of a weird one, mm-hmm. but, uh, this is what I'm going to go with. So back in the day, there was a TV show 
called The O.C. Yes, okay. I didn't watch it, but I'm familiar. <laughs> yes, you did. Everybody I didn't did. watch it. I didn't. Sure. Uh, I watched it. I loved it. The O.C. And uh, there was a gentleman on that show, Adam Brody, uh, the actor, Adam Brody. Okay, yeah. And now he's on a kind of a, dr- yeah. a drug show thing that's on Netflix. Startup. Called right? Startup. Yeah, Adam Brody. I, I, I watched it all. I loved it. So, yeah. No, uh, so I'm a big fan of Adam Brody. I love it. I, I think he's great. I love watching him and stuff. Okay. But uh, I feel like I could take him. I feel like I could I could beat that guy. I love up. how both you and I went with the options of who we could fight that we know we might win. Yeah, we no, didn't... well, I don't want to fight anyone that I think could potentially beat me up. Mm-hmm. No, why would I go? For... No, no, but I think uh, it could be a good a, a good little fight. But uh, I'd come out on top fighting uh, Adam Brody from the OC. Okay, uh, yeah, and I think I'm going to go more of like a no holds barred. Uh, Full content, biting, scratching, yeah, everything, not just boxing. Just anything goes. To the death. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about you? What celebrity would you fight? And again, I'm going to go with the same tip because there's a chance I might win. Uh-huh. Only because I'd have a little bit of an advantage with reach, maybe. Okay. Well, we were talking about this a little bit off air. And remember, I advised you to keep it to men. You should only want to fight. I know why you got why you didn't <laughs> let me say I'd fight Olivia Wilde naked, because I totally would. <laughs> Why Jason Sudeikis cries in yeah. the corner? Who wouldn't tune into that? Um, Everybody. I think I'm going to have to go with, and I think I might get an advantage on him, Danny DeVito. Celebrity see, boxing match. And, and I say Danny DeVito slays you. <laughs> oh, where's uh, the support, man? Uh, Come on. I don't know. He's got, He's 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 furious. He's an angry little yeah. man, but he drinks. He's got his own limoncello booze mm-hmm, brand. Mm-hmm. So he, he's going to get a little tight. Tuned up, notorious and then, and then little fuck you down to the ground. It's hard to defend against him. Say there's some mm-hmm. advantages, but mm-hmm. some challenges. You got to bring that elbow down. Yeah. When he charges in, you bring the elbow down because he's a lot short. I'm, I... You bring the elbow down, or you bring the knee up right into his little gargoyle face. <laughs> but he's got those feet that he's famous for on social media. He's got a sturdy base. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. But um, yeah, that's who I'd fight, Adam Brody. All right. And I love the question of what he's celebrity. Four, he's four Ted. So I got a who uh, Danny, Danny is Danny DeVito's four. What foot about ten. Adam Brody? Do you got Adam Brody there? Like how tall he is? I'm pulling okay. it up as we speak. As we speak, Adam Brody is five eleven. Oh, I got that all day, and yeah. I guarantee I got 20, 30 pounds on that guy. Guaranteed. Yeah, easy, easy, easy. He's, he's a Hollywood I'm gonna fruitcake. Su- I'm going to suffocate that guy in a headlock. I'm just going to like what's left of his face that I don't have covered in my arm in yeah. the headlock. I'll just push the man boob over his face <laughs> <laughs> and just just suffocate. Him. So we were talking earlier. We're having a little bit of fun about the you know there's the exhibition boxing matches that are becoming so popular. Most recently, the Floyd Money Mayweather and the Logan Paul fight, mm-hmm. and the controversy. If you haven't seen the footage yet, just Google it. Did Mayweather hold him up? What celebrity would you fight? Well, my pick was Adam Brody from the OC, and not because I don't like him, because I am a big fan. I am a very big fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, he's my choice because I think I could take him. But those skinny guys, you know, he'll probably fight all day long and I'll be gassed. He'll get in close. He'll get in close. <laughs> Wrap me up. Yeah. Son of a gun. Well, uh, I thought I'd pick Danny DeVito. I mean, if we're going to go celebrity toe to toe in a ring for mm-hmm. exhibition match and all that money, people are probably yeah. dying to hand over to watch it on pay-per-view. And God forbid you confront someone who's actually any kind of physical threat to you. 
Well, my second choice would be Betty White. <laughs> she wins. That'd be sad to watch Betty White just beat your ass. <laughs> Betty White just give you an atomic wedgie up and over the top. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know who would fight. Um, there's some funny ones, though, that are posted on Facebook. Keep those coming all day long. Mm-hmm. Uh, light them up. We read them, of course. Get a good laugh. I love that Juan wants to fight. Share. You know, I was front row at a Cher concert once, Jeez. and uh, she can move. I think she's got size on. Yeah. Juan, you're not a small guy, per se. You seem pretty fit and big, right? Mar- Harley Davidson's uh-huh, one up. Uh-huh. But, uh, I don't know. Cher's uh, rough and tumble, man. She's probably got a lot more horsepower than whatever bike you were last on. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Bobby dropped us a message on Facebook. My hubby wants to fight Owen Wilson. Why? Does he want to knock his why? nose back straight? Or? Oh, my goodness. Hasn't Kate Hudson done enough to pour Lightning McQueen? <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google that. It's awful. He's hurting still. Yes. Anthony, who okay. we've talked to many times. We uh-huh. know Anthony. Yeah. He says, for that kind of cheese, I'll go toe-to-toe with Floyd Runweather. He's even calling him out on a, on a new nickname. Dude. He says, for that kind of money, I'll go toe-to-toe. Would you, though? I mean, Logan Paul's pretty jacked up for that fight. I mean, Andy's like a foot taller and 35 pounds heavier. Than uh, Floyd Money Mayweather, and and Floyd, I didn't realize Floyd that Floyd can hang in there. I didn't, I didn't realize that all the way up to this, like the size difference. It was like Mike Tyson punch out. Remember that game yeah, when you were a kid? Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I wouldn't want to get in the ring with a professional boxer for any amount of money. I don't want to get in the ring with an amateur boxer. That's, dude, I lost my front tooth to an amateur boxer. Yeah, uh, that's why I don't fight. And the last one though, thank you to Stephen. Uh, he decided he wanted to fight one of our compatriots. One of our fellow co-workers. Oh, who? Ryan Seacrest. Oh, uh, our co-worker? Okay, that's a little bit liberal. He does work for iHeartMedia. Sure, <laughs> sure, okay. That's the same way that, that's like saying the guy who delivers your mail mm-hmm. and the president are both, oh, they both work for the government. The government employees, <laughs> man, what are you talking about? Same thing. Good weather and time off from school. It's time to get the ball rolling on planning a fabulous summer. Whether it's a family vacation at the beach or throwing the best wedding ever, a personal loan from Delta Community Credit Union is the perfect fit to make your summer dreams come true. Delta Community offers low-rate personal loans that give you next-day access to the money you need for whatever you want, even paying off high-interest debt. Talk to the folks at Delta Community Credit Union today or learn more at deltacommunitycu.com slash personal loans. Delta Community is federally insured by the NCUA. We got to get to our D-bag of the day, my friend. Nice. This is another cautionary tale. I All well intended, right? I'm sure this guy had the, the... He was trying to do something fun and cool, but it's starting to bite him in the ass big time. Jake Adams wanted to hit uh, golf shots in 50 states and do it in 30 days. Uh. Set a record, do a little stuff for charity, have a little fun with it, right? Well, he went to Yellowstone, he hit up Grand Canyon. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous. Mount Rushmore of all places. Tell me he hit Teton National Park, which I I personally feel a little cooler than Yellowstone. Well, now he's under federal investigation for violating park rules, specifically the rule they have about not leaving anything behind in a national park. Pack out what you pack in is Uh the expression. We in the Boy Scouts of America hmm. say, uh, we call it no trace camping. That's what it is. Not only do we pack everything up, but then before you leave, mm-hmm. we all go walking around for trash that isn't even our trash. You take a little extra trash. Well, something with you. Yeah. Um, you know, and in their case, when you leave golf balls behind, 
and post it on social media. I love this. They're able to track him. I love this. Each violation can result in penalties up to six months in prison and a $500 fine for each golf ball. And he went to all 50 states, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, my. Yes. So he gets a life sentence. Yeah, he- they add them all together, <laughs> and they give him like a life sentence oh, for just God. hitting some golf balls. For just so you like balls, huh? Yeah, we got a little something for you over outside the rec- no problem. Area. Could you bring his order around? <laughs> Wake up and rock with Hooker and DB. KD, of course, he's always fun in the media, right? And yes. uh, he took some guy to task. This is a post-game interview. He leveled a reporter in one oh, like oh. like one sentence. Dude, he seriously, he probably I this is not an exaggeration mm-hmm. or a joke. Mm-hmm. He probably Ke- Kevin Durant probably set this guy's career back 5 years. <laughs> probably dead serious. Here's the interview. Here's a little clip of what happened. Listen for KD's response. Tomorrow will mark 2 years since you initially injured your half i know you worked your butt off to get to this point but did you ever think you'd be this good is that a real question yeah oh yeah <laughs> uh-huh you know that calf injury from two years ago did you ever think you'd be this good is that a real question oh uh, yeah of course, I mean, yeah. what, what you want me to say to that? Of course well, I, I mean, did. It, it's pretty impressive what you've been able to do. <laughs> Thank oh, you. I appreciate dude. that. But, I mean, that was two years ago. I'm looking forward to just getting up tomorrow and going to practice, watching film, and and, uh, and seeing how we can get better. But, you know, I appreciate that. But, you know, that was that was too long ago. See, and, then, and Kevin knows that he did the guy dirty. He don't, <laughs> he's like, he's he's like your question is absolute dog crap. <laughs> Here's a, here's is your boss watching? Which camera am I? Which camera is on me? Okay, I'm going to look into the camera. This guy sucks. Absolute crap. <laughs> he might as well have said all of those things. I well, the, the, the reporter tries to make a joke of, out. <laughs> all right, well, I'll come up with some more real questions for you next time. Thanks, Kevin. Love. Mark. <laughs> hey, Kevin. <laughs> Takes the headphones off and just leaves. He's like, ah, my kid needs braces, Kevin. <laughs> you son of a bitch. I've done it though. I had an interview. I've done it. Uh, went back in the early days of Wikipedia. I didn't know people would purposefully put wrong information on there. I'm interviewing a rock star guy, and I got the first three questions. All of them were wrong. He's like, "That uh-huh. didn't happen. That wasn't me. Uh-huh. That isn't even true." Live on the radio, not pre-recorded. So the problem, the problem, and what this guy did with Kevin Durant is the a, pro, uh, a mistake that a lot of broadcasters do. You make. You try and think too hard. You try and go too deep. You try and like do something like f- touchy-feely. I'm going to come up with something nobody's ever asked him before. And that's impossible, so just ask a good question. Yeah. So I did an interview with Jake Dillon uh, of you know Bob Dillon's son, oh, okay. Jake Dillon, the Wallflowers, yeah, yeah. earlier in my radio career, very early. And there was a picture in the jacket of that album, the Wallflowers album, uh-huh. of Jake as just a little tiny baby, like, on the couch, and Bob Dylan sitting against the couch, playing the harmonica. And I forget the exact way I phrased the question, but I was asking about, like, is he just numb to the fact that, you know, these are, like, family pictures for you, but to all of us, it's Bob Dylan, and it's this huge, big thing. And he crapped on my question so hard. He looked at me in, like, this long pause, like, Katie, and he goes, like, uh, he said, yeah, I have a lot of family pictures. 
And then he just left it at that. And I was hanging out there. And I thought it was this great, deep, loving, uh, cool, like acknowledging your dad's an icon kind of thing. But not, uh, and I just felt this big. <laughs> Jacob Dylan did you just, dirty. Oh, pin me so hard. And I thought it was a good, I thought it was good. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the Rock Hollywood headlines real okay. quick. Uh, what's up with Aaron Rodgers? Uh, Shailene Woodley and Aaron are now a couple. They yes. jumped in during the pandemic. They're, they're they're engaged. Meant to be, she says. But uh-huh. you break it down for me. Aaron Rodgers not at team meetings. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, he's not in the facility today. So I'm not sure if it's, uh, oh, I forget what the abbreviation is, like NTO, whatever. But uh, the Green Bay Packers are starting their team required uh, meetings today, like where you got to get together. We're all the football team. We're going to start putting the pieces of this together. And Aaron Rodgers is not there today. Is Shailene Woodley, uh, Tony Romoing Aaron Rodgers right now, like Jessica Simpson did to him back in the day? Remember? No, okay. no, no. Aaron Rodgers was an a hole long before Shailene Woodley. Uh, <laughs> Shailene Woodley is a victim of this. You okay. stay away from her, Aaron. You're too much of an a-hole and too old for her. In the world of rock, Aerosmith guitarist Brad Whitford says he doubts the band will perform, even though they announced they will be going on the road in 2022. He says, listen, we're all a little old. I don't know what uh, my partners are thinking when they think this is going to happen. Direct quote. He goes, listen, because of Brexit, getting visas to get over there is trouble. Let's face it, age is becoming a real factor. He's like the urinating alone is a huge part of our day. Hooker and DB. Mornings 5 till 10 on Rock 106.7. Utah's best rock. Good weather and time off from school. It's time to get the ball rolling on planning a fabulous summer. Whether it's a family vacation at the beach or throwing the best wedding ever, a personal loan from Delta Community Credit Union is the perfect fit to make your summer dreams come true. Delta Community offers low-rate personal loans that give you next-day access to the money you need for whatever you want, even paying off high-interest debt. Talk to the folks at Delta Community Credit Union today or learn more at deltacommunitycu.com slash personal loans. Delta Community is federally insured by the NCUA. Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Amazon is offering sign-on bonuses up to $1,000. Plus, get up to $20 an hour for select roles. The best part? We're hiring near you. So start now to take home something greater. New, higher wages with a sign-on bonus, a range of real benefits, and career growth opportunities in a top-rated workplace. So earn more and see how great pay and sign-on bonuses can lead to a greater life for you. Go to Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of Origins. I'm your host Ben Smith, and we've got two very different origin tales for you this week. I do like to change things up, as you guys may know if you do listen to this show. It keeps it interesting for both you and me, and today I'm combining a couple different formats. Our show this week is still a potpourri episode with two very randomly suggested topics, but... The way that I chose the topics is I randomly chose one email and one Instagram message with show topic suggestions, which you can send me anytime via the show's email at woodwardoriginspod at gmail.com or on Instagram at originspod. 
And those two topics get their own stories this week that I did select, and they're about as random as they seem, so this should be fun. This is episode 28, and we have a lot of excellent shows coming up that I do kind of want to preview and share with you guys, just to take a few minutes and let you guys know what's coming here this summer. Coming this summer, we'll be covering two topics that I've wanted to do episodes on since starting this show, the first being the origin of tailgating. Now, funny story, this is actually, it was actually going to be my third or fourth episode when I started the show, uh, but the guest that I really want has had to delay it a few times. I've had to delay it once, uh, so we are finally catching up this summer, and I'm very much looking forward to you guys hearing the story and the history and uh, all the different ways in which we can discuss tailgating uh, this coming summer. Another upcoming episode that I'm really excited to tell you about is the origin of fantasy sports. And I have one of the OGs coming on the show when it comes to the creation of fantasy sports. And I'll be announcing those guests when it all is official with premiere dates and all that stuff. I'm also excited because we have been developing a, a few different crossovers with the main shows over at Woodward Sports. And I can say we'll be doing an MMA episode coming up this summer. And I imagine if you watch Woodward Sports, you'll know the crew that I'm talking about that will likely be crossing over for that episode. And uh, finally, the one that I'm really excited about and uh, spoke to Stick about it recently, uh, we'll also be announcing as it gets closer, but we will be doing a Woodward Sports origin story in the coming months. As I dive into that, I'll update you as we schedule these episodes out. It probably won't be for a few months, but uh, we're finally getting going on that idea and uh, I'm excited to uh, bring that for you. For everything related to Origins, please check out the Instagram page where I post a lot of the research notes, photos, and links to videos that I do reference in the shows. You can find that at OriginsPod on Instagram. This week, we'll break down two origin tales, one sport that was created as a mean to divert attention away, if only for a day, from one of the most popular sports in the country, but likely not the one you're thinking of, or in the way you might think. That's about as vague as a tease can get. Our second story is covering one version of hockey that can be enjoyed anywhere. At least if you have an opponent, electricity, and the space to play. But that's all coming up today. Let's start, of course, as we do every week, at the beginning, shall we? This is Origin, Random Potpourri. Alright folks, today we're going to start with a sport that is a topic that was suggested to us by Katie in Traverse City, Katie C. in Traverse City. Thanks for sending in that suggestion, Katie, and today's uh, first half of this episode is for you, so thank you. The sport that we're talking about today is also a sport that I grew to love in my time covering the sport at Central Michigan University while I was a student there, and we're going to be talking today about softball. I did play-by-play -play for softball for two seasons over at Central Michigan, including one weekend tournament that will uh, go down as the longest rain delay of my career, 12 hours plus. And they didn't even call the game until after midnight, and we started it back up just six or seven hours later. So uh, that weekend was a blur for sure in Akron, Ohio. Anyways, this origin tale may be the most organic origin that's ever been told in terms of creating a sport. It's amazing. So let's let's get to it. In short, before we really break it all down, the story is a simple one. 
on its face anyway. It was a group of guys in their clubhouse awaiting the results of a football game to finish up, and when it finally did, one rolled up a boxing glove into a ball shape, one guy had a stick, and then one guy yelled, play ball, and suddenly these guys were figuring it out and playing the game of softball before they even knew what it was called. Let's break down that story, though. And We start in the year 1887, and we head to the Windy City in downtown Chicago. Actually, more towards the water, because this was at a boathouse. And it was Thanksgiving Day, and a group of alumni gathered on this day, awaiting the results of the annual Harvard-Yale football game, which claimed bragging rights for players and fans alike for at least a year. And they were in the presence of one another, both the Yale and Harvard fans, enjoying the afternoon before the Thanksgiving Day festivities really get going. Their alma maters were going after it, so they were all paying attention. But imagine that, in our day and age of finding out the results of a sporting event on your phone anywhere in the world, literally seconds after people attending the event find out the result as well. Back in 1887, folks gathered somewhere, and then they would huddle around a radio or a telegram to get the results of the game. On this particular balmy Thanksgiving day, the guys would gather at the Farragut Boat Club which did go out of business in Chicago in 1952. And uh, once the results were heard, the men first had to take care of business before the business of softball could get underway for the first time. Once the results were read aloud, they found that Yale took down Harvard this year by a final of 17-8. to And, of course, the Harvard side put their heads down in shame, and the Yale dudes were total dicks about it. I'm just kidding, I have no idea if one side hung their head, and once I were total dicks, but I imagine there's some truth to that statement in some sense. The only thing that we know for certain was that one Yale alumni had a boxing glove on ham for some reason, and he took that glove and rolled it into a ball as best he could. I mean, these boxing gloves must not have too much padding if you could simply roll it into a ball, and this guy did. And he then took this former glove, now a ball, and chucked it at the head of a Harvard alumni. The Harvard dude was ready, though, for this random attack, as he was holding a stick of some kind, but he swung that piece of wood and hit the glove and it rolled around. Somebody saw this and light bulb, and that, for all intents and purposes, was all she wrote. After the winning side, the Yale alumni chucked a boxing glove at the Harvard guy and he hit it with a stick. Did this move break into an all-out brawl? A knife fight, a war of words, or even a dance battle? The answer is no to all of those questions, but one thing did happen. Softball was born in the aftermath of this boxing glove foul. Not many names from the list of people who were in attendance on this day are known, but one that is very well known as he is given the title of creator of the game of softball. George Hancock, a reporter for the Chicago Board of Trade, jokingly yelled out, let's play ball. And he grabbed the glove, rolled it further into a ball. He started tying it up so it was more round and symmetrical in that sense, but creating the first ever softball by doing that. The first softball game would then commence with the football fans using the boxing glove as a ball and the stick, which ended up being a broom handle, in place of a bat. These guys put all differences aside on that day and had a genuinely good time. The final score ended up being 41-40, to which may still be one of the highest scoring games of softball, but it's unlikely to count towards that sport in its totality. After that final score, word began to spread to the rest of the boat club after they found out about the game, and they began to set up dates and times to play the game in the future. Due to this initial excitement surrounding the game, the Farragut Boat Club decided to officially devise their own set of rules. And the game quickly leaked to outsiders in Chicago, and eventually, 
throughout the rest of the Midwest here in the United States. It was George Hancock, though, that stuck around with the game for the long haul. By 1888, the game officially moved from indoors, where it was played in 87, to the outdoors. The sport ended up being envisioned as a way for baseball players to maintain their skills during the winter time, but Hancock knew that the game could be so much more. As the history of softball shaped itself over the next decade, the game went under a few different names like indoor baseball, kitten baseball, diamond ball, mush ball, and pumpkin ball. In 1926, while attending the National Recreation Congress meeting, a man named Walter Hack Hackinson, who ran a local YMCA in Denver, Colorado, ended up being the deciding vote for the name of the game, as Hack called it softball, and since then the name has stuck. By the 1930s, similar sports with different rules and names were being played all over the states and into Canada. By the 1930s, similar sports with different rules and names were being played all over the states and on up into Canada. The formation of the Joint Rules Committee on Softball formed in 1934, which did need to standardize the rules so that it could be sent up far and wide across the states and across different countries. Into the 1940s now, fast pitching began to dominate the game. Although slow pitch was present at the 1933 World's Fair, which was most of the world's first look at this game, the main course of action taken to lengthen the pitching distance. Slow pitch achieved formal recognition in 1953 when it was added to the program of the Amateur Softball Association, and within that next decade, it had surpassed fast pitch in popularity. And let's be honest, some of you weekend warriors still play slow pitch softball. It's awesome. Like I said, I love this sport because of all the intricate details that are involved in every single pitch. Sure, baseball is similar in that way, but the same things you look for when playing baseball is pretty different when you play softball. One thing I love about softball is the way in which, because of the way the game is designed, softball is a game that moves much quicker than, say, a baseball game. Even when the Major League Baseball tries to shrink things down to seven innings and put a runner on second. A softball game can last anywhere from three to seven innings or one to two hours, depending on the league rules and the type of softball. Skipping ahead to today, softball is one of the most popular sports in the country, and an estimated 40 million Americans engage in at least one softball game each year. And it may not be popular in terms of TV ratings and ad revenue and so on and so forth, but, I mean, any weekend warrior will tell you, you could play that game anywhere across the states, and people would know it, people would love it, and you'd see them every Saturday or Sunday or whenever you play the game. And that's mostly because it can be played either on a field or in an indoor arena, just like it did at the very beginning in 1887. Softball games, they're played year-round and involve teams with players as young as 8 years old and even up over the age of 60. And anyone can play softball. Co-recreational leagues where both men and women play in the same teams. Often companies and organizations, you know, form these co-ed teams and go out and play against their nemesis. You know, you always see like the NYPD versus the New York Fire Department and so on and so forth and these types of things. The history of softball is still unfolding and the game has undergone numerous variations and different modifications since its creation in 1887. It's still one of the preferred sports in the country, both as a leisure weekend warrior type of sport and one played by some of the top athletes in the world. Softball has developed a following in several countries throughout the world, especially in Australia, China, and Japan. 
at one point in my life, I did see this sport as less than baseball. Because for whatever reason, we can't help but compare it to baseball. I will say softball is many things that baseball wishes it could be. A sport with far more action on every pitch and a lot more entertaining scores to check out. Of course, softball wishes it had the acclaim that baseball has and for a more stabilized professional league, which means better pay for its athletes and so on and so forth. Now, will that day ever come? Not likely anytime soon, but hey, if the sport itself can be created because a Yale fan was a sore winner and the Harvard fan wasn't so quick thinking with a broomstick, we wouldn't have the sport itself. So I guess what I'm saying is anything is possible, right? last origin tale this week, we'll be talking hockey. Now, you may be saying to yourself, Ben, I never miss an episode and you've had about three or four different episodes talking about hockey. What haven't you talked about? And you would be correct. Also, thank you for never missing an episode. That makes me feel really good. But yes, I have covered all sorts of versions of the game of hockey uh, with stories within the game itself. But thanks to one Andrew in Midland, Uh, We'll be talking about a version of hockey that I never in a million years would have thought of to cover on the show, and that's air hockey. Ah, yes, the forgotten stepchild in the world of hockey. Air hockey is such a unique game because we've all been there, right? Half of the time you've completely missed the puck because of how physics seem to work differently when air is involved, and I'm not sure... Anyone can say they actually saw a score take place. It always feels like you blink and you hear that clattering sound of the puck hitting the bottom of your net, and suddenly the score is different. We all mostly just kind of swing that little striker around in no real apparent strategic way, but hey, it's a weird game, but one that is high on my list whenever I find myself in an arcade or at my cool friend's house who has one. I mean, let's be real. We all need a friend with air hockey in their basement. Air hockey has been around for over 45 years. The original idea behind the creation of the game was to create a miniature hockey game that involved a frictionless surface that a puck could just kind of float on. Using ice as the surface, obviously, was kind of out of the question. Uh, So an air table came about, and the rest is history, as they say, but the rest is what this show is all about. So let's dive into the rest of this story. The air hockey invention and concept was developed by three men in the year 1969, starting in about 1962, but it was 1969 when they finally thought they figured it out, and these guys were passionate about hockey and worked for Brunswick, who is well known for their table games both today and back in the late 60s. They had an idea to create a miniature hockey game that allowed a small puck to float across the surface of the table, similar to how a real puck slides across the surface of an ice rink. Their idea of a frictionless table surface is really what started it all. Air hockey is a game that may seem old to us in this day and age of at-home virtual reality video games, long campaigns for single-player games, even a game like Fortnite where you're part of a community. And the idea that an analog game like this is far more of a hit and miss today in terms of how much you see it, both in cool people's basements and at arcades. The main part of this game that separates it from others is a piece of technology from the 1940s, the resting air table. 
Airtables began as a sort of conveyor technology, allowing heavy objects to slide over the table's surfaces pretty easily. The original Airtables of the 40s had large holes that were plugged by ball bearings, and an object sitting on the table would depress the balls, allowing air to escape upward and lift the objects lightly off the table. Much easier to move heavy things around a flat surface with an Airtable. These three men, Bob Kenrick, Brad Baldwin, and Phil Crossman, eventually repurposed the Airtable technology and developed the idea over a decade. And once they got the design where they wanted it, they passed it on to an engineer within the same company named Bob Lemieux, who made the dream a reality in 1972 by creating a design based off the work of those three men. But this one actually worked, and not just on the page. By 1972, Bob Lemieux, an engineer with Brunswick Billiards, uh, created this game. Together, these three men and Lemieux developed the traditional air hockey table design. They added the strikers, the two handles that you use to hit the puck, the actual puck, and two goalposts. After the release of the first table, the sport quickly took off. Its success has contributed to the innovative design, but the fact that the tables were backed by such a major manufacturer also didn't hurt. However, the success of the tables unfortunately was somewhat of a letdown for the developers who had hopes of air hockey becoming a dedicated sport, much like the game of pool. Instead, unfortunately for them, the tables were categorized as mainly recreational tables, which is why they were commonly kept at places like pizza joints and arcades, bowling alleys, and again, cool people's basements. The game's designers decided to take charge and they changed the image of air hockey. A man named Mark Robbins, a dedicated air hockey fan, decided to kind of take charge and posted an ad in the trade publication requesting people to donate used air hockey tables. He would then rent a 20-foot truck in order to pick up as many tables as he could and store them in a barn located in Minnesota. Robin's hope was to create the ultimate air hockey table. Shortly after rounding up the tables, Robbins contacted U.S. Billiards, which was the last air hockey manufacturer at this point in time. He requested that they build upon the original air hockey table design and create a modern take on air hockey tables that could once again cause a rise in popularity just like they saw at the very beginning. In 1985, Robbins convinced another company, the Dynamo Corporation, to produce tournament quality tables based on the original design. That first year in 85, only 100 tables were sold, but that didn't deter this guy. He was determined to bring the sport back. By 1993, the company Dynamo began selling tables by the thousands, thanks to Robin's efforts to keep the sport alive and encourage major manufacturers to help bring the game back to life. Over the years, the table's popularity dipped, as the 80s hit and video games became all the rage. In the end, though, with the development of a place like the USAA, professional tournaments, and the help of Mark Robbins, a huge air hockey fan, these tables managed to stay relevant and survive the age of video arcade games. These days, of course, air hockey tables are more popular than ever, as actually manufacturers produce pro-quality tables that you can play in the comfort of your own home or cool basement. While it's true that air hockey did have a, a bit of an interesting start, it took a while to get going, these days its mainstream popularity resulted in its sanction as a sport. Now, the Air Hockey Players Association consists of many professional members and competitors. 
Modern tables these days also come in a variety of sizes and styles, so it is possible to fit one of these tables in your home, even if you're short on space. This really is an exciting age for air hockey, as the sport has earned a new level of respect and gained a following that's bigger than it was ever before. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Origins. Thanks to you, the listeners, for these story selections, especially Andrew from Midland and Katie from Traverse City for your suggestions of air hockey and softball, respectfully. Your Woodward sports gear is on the way. You can email me at woodwardoriginspod at gmail.com or on Instagram at originspod to send your suggestions. Origins is a Woodward sports production, and you can find all of our live programs in podcast form as well as any of our podcasts on our site at woodwardsports.com. You can also find Origins and all of our other podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Please, please, please leave a five-star review if you enjoyed the show and get as many eyeballs and ears on this as we can. Share it with your friends and family. And leave any comments that you have. We do really appreciate any of that you can send our way. You can find me on Twitter at Ben underscore Smith BS. And use the hashtag Origins Podcast to send your suggestions and comments on the show. Next week, we start anew. Until then. Increasing tobacco taxes is one of the most effective ways to prevent youth from starting tobacco use and helping users quit. Unfortunately, Georgia has the second lowest tobacco tax in the nation. That's why the American Heart Association supports raising the state cigarette tax by $1.50 per pack. This will prevent more than 32,000 kids under 18 from becoming adults who smoke, help adults quit, and save countless lives. It would also generate new revenue for our state and save Georgia $1.7 billion in long-term health care costs. Join the effort to save lives and help Georgia's bottom line. Text Georgia to 46839, paid for by the American Heart Association. It's never been easier to get outside with Academy Sports and Outdoors. Stop by your local Academy store or online at academy.com today and shop great gear from top brands like Pitboss, Swin, Hydroflask, Pelican, and more. You can listen to us on the, on the go. go. I'm Jane Secker, and you're listening to episode four of Storycast 21. In 2016, more than 5,000 migrants drowned in the Mediterranean as they tried to reach Europe. Among the 360,000 people who attempted the crossing that year, in the biggest mass movement of people since World War II, was a family fleeing the war in Syria. This is Migrant Rescue. My name's Mark Stone, and I'm a reporter, a correspondent for Sky News. It was January the 15th, 2016. I was uh, in my house in Brussels in Belgium, just put our, our son to bed, and uh, I was uh, getting ready for what I thought would be an uneventful evening. They started as they do every morning here, looking for the dots on the horizon. Some of the tiny migrant boats show up on radar, some don't. Well, about uh, five to eight, I got a, uh, a Facebook message. And it was from a young man called Basil Shikani. 
He says, hello, Mr. Stone. And then there's a long list of, of numbers. I told him, now my family in this location. Do you have any information about the weather there? He was in Germany messaging me, and, and I immediately realized what's happening. This is his family who are on the coast of, of Turkey, and they were trying to get to a, a very small island called Nera, a Greek island, and it's a distance of around about eight miles, so not very far, but remember, it's January, the water's cold and pretty rough. My name is Zanzon Khalid. I'm 28 years old. I come from Syria. I was with Basel's family, his uh, father, mother, and twin sister. They show us the small light in the other side of a Greek island and told us it's about one hour from here. My wife, uh, we talked uh, to each other many times at this day. I said to him, um, the weather is too bad. I'm not sure that we can arrive safe. And my good feeling told me that something will go wrong. Uh, but we have no other chance. We are uh, required to do the journey now. I asked Mark about the weather and he told me... It's too risky. They shouldn't go. These are the latest pictures coming in now from Rojka in Hungary. As you're just about to see, police there have been using tear gas against... Basil was a a young guy from the Syrian capital, Damascus. He had been in the military at one point. Uh, He didn't want to be part of the civil war in Syria. And so he, he left. I'd met him a few months earlier in... Budapest in Hungary. Budapest at that time, in late 2015, had become a bottleneck in, in a migrant route that was um, crossing Europe. Hundreds, thousands of migrants make their way uh, through a variety of countries uh, to Germany. We saw there the spray of tear gas. Angela Merkel, the German Chancellor, had uh, made a, a decision to open Germany's borders and to allow refugees to come in. Another spray, two sprays of the tear gas into the faces of This was a period of time when hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were trying to make the journey either across the Aegean from Turkey to Greece or across the Mediterranean from North Africa to Italy. Massive challenge for the team now is trying to make sure that everyone stays seated. The previous year, 2015, at least 3,700 people had died trying to cross those waters into Europe. So I knew, not just from the figures, but from having reported and covered many other shipwrecks over the the months before, I knew how dangerous this crossing was. Slowly, the main rescue ship is manoeuvred towards the dinghy. With Basil, he had told me that his twin sister, his fiancé at the time and his, his parents, they would try and join him in Germany once he had managed to put down some routes. It was about um, 8 or 7 o'clock local time. We were about more than 40 persons. 
many families with many children. And just we shocked when we saw the boat, even it was difficult to see it, but they turned on light for a short time to check the uh, engine. It might be just for um, 10 people maximum. So the wind was strong and very cold. Uh, this wind created a huge waves and um, the sounds of these waves you can compare it to the sounds of the air strikes that we heard in Syria. I thought of my parents, uh, Basil, my brothers, my sister, and I think, uh, could I meet them again or not? My wife started to send me uh, the location. After one hour, I uh, used my uh, laptop to make a line of uh, locations. So I noticed that uh, the direction not go to the uh, Greek island, rather they go in the wrong way. By the time this, the next exchange of messages came in, it was uh, 20 past 10 in Brussels. I, by this stage, was in bed. He sent me a another set of coordinates. I copied and pasted the long number into Google Maps. And then this pin dropped on a, on a, just a blue screen. And I, I pulled out uh, on the phone. It was clear then as the screen got wider that they were in the middle of the Aegean. My wife told me the only light uh, on this uh, Greek island that we saw now far away from us. So I told my wife, tell this uh, driver to find the right way, otherwise you will, uh, you will not reach this island. I told him how bad the situation is. We see nothing, uh, just hear people crying and praying to God to help us. Uh, I told him about the water that started to enter into the boat. It was so icy. Another set of numbers came in uh, and Basil said, now they are here, they ask me to bring help. And I replied that I had, I had asked for help. And the reason I was able to do that is because I had contacts in the area, an organization called MOAS, who are effectively a, um, a private coast guard on the Greek islands and saying, look, I know there's a boat out there. These are the coordinates. What can you do? So Mark told me uh, they, they have a ship uh, near of Samos and it's not far away from the location of your family. I was very worried because they are in the middle of the sea. Maybe they will lose the connection or um, the mobile phone will get some wa uh, water and they will be damaged. Her mobile phone was the only instrument that they can use uh, to tell us about the location, to tell us about the whole situation. 
and just we had blessing in, in this class uh, because the internet connection was so good to still communicate uh, with my husband and send him our locations. And then Basil was sending me more and more coordinates. Uh, and then he says uh, the water level is raised and they're afraid from the fuel running out. The driver told us to throw every luggage we brought with us in the sea. He um, tried to decrease the load. It was kind of a race against time. Me sending the coordinates to Moas, Moas saying, yep, we've got them, we're trying to get there. And then Basil sending me more and more messages, which, which, as I say, got more and more distraught. My wife was next to me and wondering why I was furiously texting and you know, actually helping to coordinate a rescue that was taking place, you know, a thousand or so miles to the south. Remember, it's pitch black. They are looking for a tiny dot on a dark horizon. Every minute was for us like a day. Uh, in this case, you just think whether the boat will still be able to bring us uh, to our destination. We'd passed the coordinates to Moas, and within the space of, I guess it was probably 45 minutes or so, I was getting messages back saying they've seen a boat. When we saw the lights of the ship, all of us turned on the torch of our mobile phones to try to make a visible signal that let the people on the ship see us quickly. We are there. We are here to save you. To save you all. You need to stay calm and stay seated. Everybody sit down. By this stage, the messages, the pings are near constant, back and forth. It's still late at night, overcrowded boat, panicking people the chances of that boat overturning uh, were, were quite high and that can happen even when the rescue boat is close. At this time I was worried because my mother and my father was so sick so I tried to call her to send her a message but they, the, my messages are, uh, weren't arrived. I got an email from uh, Jason Florio, the photographer on board the rescue boat. And it just said, hi, Mark, all safe aboard Moas ship, the responder. Cheers, Jason. I screen grabbed that email and sent it straight to Basel. Eventually, uh, within, within a, uh, I guess, about another half an hour, we managed to get the, uh, the lines of communication, turn them into phone calls, and he spoke to his family on board the rescue boat. Uh, one uh, of the rescuers offered us his mobile phone. I called uh, my husband, Basil. I said to him, we are alive, we are safe. I will never, ever do something like that again. Uh, when I he hear her voice, it really was like a miracle. It was a few weeks later in... Uh Early February 2016, they were finally reunited in Germany. 
we were on the station platform uh, in Saarbrücken. On the platform, Basel waits for a train that's late, but eventually pulls in. Uh, and on the train was his mother, his father, fiancé Zane, uh, and his twin sister. <laughs> it was a wonderful moment, actually, seeing this, um, this family reunited after months. There were moments, clearly, when Basil thought his family wouldn't make it. This isn't a one-off. Across Europe, dislocated families are being reunited. The elderly... It was uh, in the middle of night, and he left everything, and he just sat on his computer, uh, get these messages for me, and sent them to, to his contacts. I'd covered the refugee crisis for many, many months. And for me, it was really important to, um, to individualize these journeys. It puts it all into a better context. Zane and Basil are now um, living happily in Germany. They were uh, engaged when all this took place, now they're married, they've got two children. The crossing of the Mediterranean made by Zane is a journey migrants continue to undertake in 2021. Migrant Rescue was written and produced by Robert Mulhern. For more information on this podcast, go to skynews.com forward slash storycast21. Next time, we're in Chile, where a team of miners find themselves trapped more than half a mile underground in the desert. We were just doing some job and suddenly, just a huge, huge amounts of rocks, like a really huge amounts of rock coming down. And we tried to run. We, we said, that, that, that's about it. We're dead. listening to our weekly episodes to find out more today's sponsor is headspace so you've probably tried meditation before and it didn't work right or maybe you felt like you were doing it wrong if mental health is a part of your self-care plan this year you owe it to yourself to try headspace it's a daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy to use app i use it myself it's the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research need some help falling asleep well guess what they have something for that you need help with focus well they have something for that right Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, over 60 million downloads. So social proof, it works. Take it from me. So anyway, Headspace, they make it life-changing for you. 
Like, honestly, your schedule, your time, anytime, anywhere. So you deserve to feel happier in Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for free one month trial with access to Headspace, full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Again, headspace.com slash SPI today. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he finally, finally cut cable last month, Pat Flynn. And hey, I know you've been enjoying these follow-up Friday episodes. We've gotten so many great comments about them and wanted to let you know just right now, we're not going away, but we're taking a little bit of a summer break. I wanted to get a little bit of time back for the summer with the family. We're gonna be going some places, doing some things that, of course, we've been itching to do for the longest time. And now that, you know, April and I are both vaccinated and the kids are itching to get outside too and summer's here, we're going to take a little bit of a break. So we're gonna come back and we're going to reassess. We're gonna get some feedback from the audience to see what we can do to make them better. The Wednesday episodes are still gonna come out, so don't worry about the follow-up Fridays. We're just gonna take a little break. So just letting you know, thanks so much again for your feedback and we'll see you when we come back. But this is the last Friday follow-up episode for now. So I hope you enjoy your summer too. I hope you're making time for the things that are important for you. And thanks for understanding. Earlier this week, we spoke with Kevin Espiritu from Epic Gardening on YouTube and epicgardening.com. If you haven't listened to that episode, I'd highly recommend it because Kevin has a really interesting story about how he kind of fell into gardening and how he's just gone all in with it, truly all in with it, and he's doing so many great things. And that interview, you know, after we hung up and after sort of I edited the show with the team, it made me think about how much even closer we've gotten together since that chat and how often I actually chat with Kevin. And I spoke about this not too long ago about the importance of relationships and finding a buddy and somebody that you can rely on. But I wanted to go even deeper into that because Kevin definitely demonstrates this. Uh, I spoke about it when I had Chris Ducker on the show. But more than that, you know, the cool thing that Kevin does is he just kind of checks in with me every once in a while. He knows I'm sort of a beginner gardener. He knows that I have started a garden in the backyard with the kids and he knows sort of what's in the garden. He's never been over to our house. He's seen pictures because I've shared them with him. But it reminded me of another person who's been on the show before, Jordan Harbinger. And when Jordan was on the show in episode 346, he talked about something called the layoff lifeline. And the layoff lifeline is this idea that there are people in your life who if you were to get laid off or go through some tragic thing in your life of some kind, these are the people that you could kind of go to in that time of help. And Jordan had spoken in that episode about the time that he got kicked out of his own business and he reached out to me and several other people who he had kept in touch with over time to ask for a favor. And we all bent over backwards essentially to do what we could to help Jordan out. And here he is, he's just crushing it now. And he had those layoff lifelines in his hand. If you might remember that show, who wants to be a millionaire, right? You could phone a friend and this is sort of that idea that you could in the time of need reach out to these people. And that really got me thinking about the relationships that I've had and how I could keep those going. And Kevin just like, I don't know if this is just a natural thing that Kevin does, but I've noticed this with many successful people who I've gotten in contact with. They just seem to always reach out just to kind of check in and see how we're doing. 
just for no other purpose than to just see how we're, we're doing. And it's just such a great feeling on the receiving end of that. And every once in a while, Kevin messages me and checks on the strawberries that we're doing and, and, and how the tomatoes are growing. And he knows we're growing blueberries. And, you know, I'm just not quite sure when they're ripe. And I, you know, am on his live streams every once in a while. And he'll follow up with me. And, he, you know, we've gotten to text each other. We're also in a Telegram group together or tele, Telegram. I can't remember what the name of that app is. But it's it's like a group voice and text messaging app of sorts, sort of like WhatsApp. But Kevin definitely demonstrates this. And again, this is a common factor between successful people that I've found is that they continue to nourish and nurture those relationships that that they start. I've uh, noticed this with Michael Hyatt and Shalene Johnson and, and Lewis House reaches out every once in a while. It's just one of those things, Ramin Senti, Amy Porterfield, just a text out of nowhere. And so again, just, just another reminder to keep those relationships going and you know, I don't know, and I don't care how you organize them, you just have to be able to do that. And I've been trying to do better at that too, because as you begin to grow and scale as a business, you start to, you know, lose touch with some people. And you might not know that they could be the answer to your next biggest question, a question that you might even know doesn't exist yet. You might have some trouble moving forward, or you might have uh, a cool promotion or, or, or what have you. It doesn't have to be sort of a tragic thing. But in that time of need, if you haven't reached out to a person in a while and you haven't connected and, and kept that relationship going and just checked in, then good luck trying to ask for help because it's just gonna seem like a favor that comes out of nowhere versus a favor that one asks a friend that a friend, hey, you didn't even have to ask. I'd be more than happy to do that, right? Another thing that I've noticed Kevin do ever since we chatted was he he goes live and and he's really good at putting his personality into his stuff. Like he did this thing recently where he was showing people live around his garden, right? Whatever your platform is, it's really, really cool. I talk about this in my book, Super Fans, to kind of bring people inside the factory doors, right? People see his YouTube videos, people see his edited videos on Instagram, but when he's live and he's bringing people, quote unquote, backstage, it makes them feel special, it makes them feel like VIPs, especially when he addresses people by name. He sometimes does these charity things and people do donate hundreds of dollars. But more than that, he's showing people where these videos are filmed, but sort of in real time and he can answer questions. He did this thing recently where he was showing you how to, how to harvest chamomile, 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 doesn't matter how you say it, but it's like a flower, right? And you, you, pluck it out after it's, it look, almost looks like a daisy. It's like white petals with a yellow center and you dry them out and then you can put them in tea. Chamomile, chamomile, I don't know. Chris Ducker would be upset at me right now. We often fight about this too. But anyway, when he did his videos, he did one where he was just kind of like plucking them out and then putting them in this basket. But every time he did it, he would just be like, boop, boop, bizong, like random sounds. And it was just like, on the surface, you're like, this is a person who's running you know, this ginormous business and he's booping online. But he's just kind of silly and interesting like that and, and weird, just like I'm super weird sometimes and you're probably weird too. And the question too is how often are you bringing your true self out there in that way? There was even a, a moment where he's just harvested his potatoes and he's been kind of experimenting. Actually, it's really cool what he's doing because he's using this new land that he got and he's growing like five types of potatoes and he's kind of showing, like each of those potatoes are a different video, right? And then just all the potatoes are another video and he's doing another one where he has three different ways to 
to grow tomatoes and different ways to sort of keep them staying up straight as they grow. And he's got them all right next to each other. Each of those is a video. The whole thing is a video. It's really cool. So again, he's showing you behind the scenes. Anyway, when he was doing his potato thing, somebody said that like his head looks like a potato. And instead of like being upset about it, he like embraces it. And he actually had a potato. I don't know if somebody sent it to him or somebody gave him a picture that he then printed on a pillow, but he got a pillow created with like potatoes, but his face, like his eyes and his mouth sort of like photoshopped in those potatoes. And it's the ugliest thing. I mean, he just kind of shows it behind the scenes and he's like, this thing will not come into my house. It's haunted. It's the weirdest thing ever. But then he'll like lay next to it and take a photo and be like, yo, I'm a potato and just kind of embrace that. And, and you know, so if you haven't followed Kevin, like I would highly recommend doing it. He, he's one of the most prolific and smartest content creators right now. And yes, he's in the gardening arena right now. So epic gardening on YouTube. He's doing so many things right. But I also know that he also, uh, and he was very upfront with this in the interview we did, you know, he doesn't have everything perfectly organized. He wishes he did things more streamlined. He forgets to do some things here and there, but he's fully focused and he's obsessed with it and he's bringing his personality out. And that alone will get you so, so far, right? So far. He's also very, very prolific with understanding trends, right? So not just like trends and okay, it's strawberry season, so we better create like a strawberry video or get ready for one, but trends of other creators online and videos that do well there and how to kind of piggyback off of them in a way. You're not stealing, but for example, there's this like five minutes crafts YouTube videos where they just kind of do these gardening hacks and they're they're really bad. Like they don't, mostly don't work and they just kind of edit things to make, you know, you could put the seeds in a glass and then you'll get roots and then you can put these things in a napkin and all of a sudden you can plant it and you'll have a mango tree or whatever. He demystifies those myths and basically tell the truth. But he also knows that when he does that, because those videos have like 8 million views, by addressing those specific videos and commenting on them and reacting to them, I mean, they're not the fanciest edited videos, but he has great information in them and they tie into those very popular videos and he's getting suggested views from them. And he's getting you know some people who watch those videos to go and watch his because they wanna know if this thing actually works or not. And he's getting a load of traffic that way. There's some of his most popular videos. And it's also a great way to just kind of become the expert, right? If you notice that there's some myths out there, if you notice that there are any like trends or other things that you're maybe like, well, I don't know how I feel about that. Why not write a blog post about it or host a podcast episode and bring a guest on to talk about this. Maybe that guest takes that side and you take another side so you can have this formal, respectful debate about it. And that's really interesting. That's very different. Maybe you create a video to show the truth behind something. And this takes me to something that I learned once from Ramit Sethi and several other people. It's this idea that when you are in whatever space you're in, you have to take a stand, right? I think it was in Hamilton. It's like, if you don't know what you stand for, what will you... or If you don't know who you'll fight for, what will you stand for? Okay, I totally butchered that quote. It's been a while since I've seen Hamilton. My absolute favorite musical, by the way. In the room where it happened, the room where it happened. Sorry. Anyway, the incredible thing is that when you say, you don't don't go, well, you know what? I believe that everybody should start a podcast. Or, you know, I think that it would be good if you put your personality out online. You take a stand. Everybody needs a podcast. I truly believe that. And when I've embraced that, when I have owned that thought, 
I've made more sales. I've been more confident. The emails hit harder. More things work when you take a stand. If you start using words like I think or I believe or maybe, then how are people gonna understand if that's actually what you feel or not? How are they gonna stand behind you if you don't know what you stand for? There you go, that was a little bit better. So take a stand for something. And it might mean that you're gonna draw a line and there's gonna be people on the other end. There's gonna be people that are upset. And I remember this just sparks a memory for me. This was in Schaumburg, Illinois, 2011, my first speaking gig. And, and I'm not talking about the, you know, I don't wanna talk about my first time on stage. I've talked about that many times, but I wanna talk about the first time I saw Ramit Seti, speaking of, who spoke there. It was the first time I saw him speak. And to start his talk again, this was a personal finance blogger conference. And he was in the finance space, but he always had a different tone and a different thought and took a different stance. But he did take a stand. And he was more in the camp of instead of penny pinching, instead of putting $20 away in your account every month and then enjoying yourself finally when you're 65, he talks about living a rich life and having that $4 latte, but getting it through bigger wins, getting a raise, getting that dream job, starting a business, et cetera. And I resonated with him because I started a business and that changed my life financially, and, and so I agree with him on that. Anyway, he started his talk with a, I don't know, three or four minute commercial, and it was just like a parody, but it was Ramit going around, penny pinching in the most like satirical way, right? He was like, let me just see if I can remember. He was, He'd be like, Hey, why spend money on toilet paper? It can be one to two dollars roll when you could just use leaves from a tree because they're absolutely free. I'm gonna, you know, it's just like it, it got crude at sometimes, but it, you know, the point hit home. And then his talk was about those big wins and, and that sort of thing. And that's really when I really resonated with him because I understood that. But it was so funny because there were so many people there who I spoke with at dinners later and, and at the bar who were like, I hate Ramit. I don't like him. I don't like his style. He's super rude. That was just disrespectful. And maybe it was, but it got his point across. And it's very clear what he stands for. And that's why a lot of people stand with him. That's how he became a New York Times bestseller with his book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. And I think more of us need to do that. More of us need to do that. So in this Friday follow-up, we talked about a bunch of things. We talked about the layoff lifeline. We talked about Kevin and putting our personality into our work and booping and beeping and bopping when you need to. We spoke about Ramit and taking a stand. So hopefully one of those topics today can help you get stronger, get better, and hopefully look forward to next week's episode where we have another, a great interview actually, with somebody who I had just recently gotten to know and I'm really excited to share what I had learned and some of what he has to share with you. So it's gonna be a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to this Friday follow-up episode today. I hope you have a grand weekend. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And as always, Team Flynn for the win. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income podcast at smartpassiveincome.com. I'm your host, Pat Flynn. Sound design and editing by Paul Gregoris. Our senior producer is Sarah Jane Hess. Our series producer is David Grabowski, and our executive producer is Matt Gartland. The Smart Passive Income Podcast is a production of SPI Media. We'll catch you in the next session.
Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Tonight from Guatemala, Vice President Kamala Harris facing her first major test on the world stage. The Vice President's historic first foreign trip in office on a mission to stem the record flow of migrants to the U.S. under the Biden administration. Harris's new warnings to migrants don't come to America. And ahead of our exclusive interview, the criticism she's facing, why isn't she visiting the U.S. border with Mexico? Our team at the border and deep inside Guatemala, why so many here risked everything for the dangerous journey to America. Also tonight, the FDA approving the first new Alzheimer's drug in nearly two decades. Why it's so controversial. The new reveal from the Justice Department how it turned the tables on the colonial pipeline hackers to recover millions in ransom. The arrests and the road rage shooting that killed a six-year-old boy. The battle in one of America's most expensive cities. The idea, some say, could make housing a lot more affordable. And billionaire blast-off, the surprise announcement from Amazon's Jeff Bezos. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt, reporting tonight from Guatemala City. Good evening from Guatemala, a small country having an enormous impact on the United States, a starting point in a long and dangerous journey to the U.S. border by so many who have hit the brick walls of poverty, violence, malnutrition and disease that plague this region of Central America. Families in many cases sending their children ahead without them. Tonight, Vice President Kamala Harris on her first foreign trip as VP on the ground here, meeting officials and searching for ways to attack the roots of the crisis that is overwhelming the United States border and facing questions as to why she is here and not there. This is one of our highest priorities, and I came here to be here on the ground to speak with the leader of this nation around what we can do in a way that is significant, and I will continue to be focused on that kind of work as opposed to grand gestures. The vice president, who I'll speak with later this evening, declaring once again America's borders are closed, a warning that may ring hollow to some, though. With the White House immigration strategy being tested every day by a crush of arriving migrants, Vice President Kamala Harris tonight is 1,500 miles from the border in Central America, wanting to slow the tide of U.S.-bound migrants where it starts. President and I discussed a fundamental belief that most people don't want to leave home. Vice President Harris meeting with Guatemalan President Alejandro Giamate. More unaccompanied migrant children come to the U.S. from Guatemala than anywhere else. The vice president with this message to those thinking about making the trip. Do not come. We, as one of our priorities, will discourage illegal migration. When I sat down with President Gia Matei afterwards, he praised that message as much clearer than before. When President Biden relaxed U.S. border policy, he says the administration sent out a more welcoming message. The talk that they were going to allow family reunification made the coyotes take a lot of children towards the border of the United States. The U.S. Border Patrol apprehended nearly 180,000 migrants trying to cross the border in April, the highest number in 20 years. Nearly half came from northern triangle countries of Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. The Biden administration looks to inject $4 billion to these countries beset by poverty, crime, and corruption to help reduce that. 
Can you speak to the U.S. concerns about corruption and what assurances you were willing to give that any money that would come this way in aid would be properly used and spent? I told the vice president that we did not want one single U.S. dollar from the United States to be given to the government of Guatemala. We ask that they use international organizations like the World Food Program. The U.S. has invested over a billion and a half dollars in aid to Guatemala over the past decade, only to see social conditions worsen and the pace of migration quicken. Harris hopes to reverse that, coming here armed with pledges from a dozen major companies, including Microsoft, MasterCard and Chobani, to invest in the region. The head of Guatemala's Chamber of Exporters says it's a significant step. The fact that she met, as I read, with Microsoft, with Nespresso, with, I applaud that. Are you optimistic that, that things will improve here? You know what? I, I think you have to be optimistic. I traveled to the mountains an hour outside Guatemala City to visit a small farm representing the kind of prosperity many here hope U.S. investment can bring. So what sort of things are they growing? This is French beans. At the Four Pines Cooperative, indigenous women earning steady incomes, growing produce, most exported to the United States. If not for this work, would these women potentially and their families want to leave Guatemala? Absolutely. As you know, in Guatemala, we don't have a lot of jobs. If we don't have everything here, they have to migrate. That push to help women here as Vice President Harris kicks off her historic first foreign trip as the first female vice president. With pressure mounting at the border, the administration in search of a way to help people of this region find a better life right at home. I'm honored to represent my country here in Guatemala. Let's pave a path where we create an opportunity for others to become the first in their family or their community to do those things that perhaps others didn't think they were capable of. We also wanted to hear from some of the tens of thousands who have decided there is no other way but to make the journey to the U.S., a track that is dangerous, costly, and uncertain. Kerry Sanders met with some of them here. Those who leave Central America for the U.S. often live in homes built of sticks. Poverty, a leading reason so many children head north, like 17-year-old Erika. What would you ask for from the vice president of the United States visiting here? Alimentación. Wow, food. Eric is from Honduras, resting at a refugee center in Guatemala City. You're 12 years old. Did you even tell your mother you were leaving? I'm not you did not tell your mother. His plan, travel the remaining 2,500 miles to join his grandfather in Atlanta. Well, listen, I tracked you're... down his grandfather who made the same journey without documentation more than a decade ago. He tells me if Eric makes it, he will have a place to live. If you get there, what is your plan? To study and to work. So what would you do with the money you earn in the United States? You'll send it to your family in Honduras, in Honduras? Looking for work at 12 years old. 19-year-old Blanca's son was born after she was raped in Honduras. She's telling me that it's actually more dangerous for her to go back to Honduras than it is for her to go to the United States. Police say rape and extortion in the region have gotten worse. That, compounded by systemic corruption and repeated hurricanes, driving many to give up and leave. 
Every day, 34 people leave Guatemala. That's Honduras right there. And just beyond, El Salvador. Collectively, experts say as many as 700 people leave every week. Destination, the United States. High in the Palmia Mountains here, two-month-old Elsa is the youngest of 10, having her first checkup since birth. If we don't provide her with formula, chances are she's going to start losing weight until it's too late for her. Too late, meaning? She's going to die if someone doesn't help her. I asked Elsa's mother if she would let any of them go north alone. She said yes, in hopes of a better life. Carrie, it's enormously difficult, as you found out, to get to some of these places. Lester, it took us 10 hours to reach that mountain village where malnutrition's a big problem. Elsa's mother's diet consists of beans and water. And while many American parents may think it irresponsible to let children leave alone, here many parents believe it is the responsible thing to do for a future. A lot of heartbreak. Carrie, thanks very much. Vice President Harris is also visiting Mexico, but not the border with the United States, where so many families are making the agonizing decision to send their children alone. Gabe Gutierrez is in South Texas tonight. Tired, hungry, terrified. These are the moments they finally reach U.S. soil. This woman from Guatemala tells us gangs threatened to kill her and rape her young daughters. Whether you call it a crisis or not, it is a nightly ritual. Smugglers bringing rafts full of mostly women and children right to this spot. We've been here before, and overnight it happens every few minutes. We speak with one of the smugglers ourselves. Migrants pay smugglers thousands of dollars to make the grueling journey. Discarded wristbands, a sign of which migrants paid the fee. There are now more than 17,000 unaccompanied children in U.S. government custody. The Texas Department of Public Safety tells us the surge has been nonstop. It's very dangerous. I mean, you can see how hot it is. So the humidity, it's, it's going to continue to increase. Some families taking a drastic step, choosing to separate, sending their children alone over the border because they know the Biden administration will let them stay. We meet these siblings, 12 and 10 years old, hoping to reach relatives in Boston. Hey, I see, I see Uluru. You got Ataki? Has it been hard? Just after midnight, we meet Jenny Mejia from Honduras with her two-year-old daughter. Take her to McAllen, Texas. We call her relative in Los Angeles and pass her the phone. This is the first time they've been able to speak in two months. Tonight, her family in California is awaiting word on whether she'll be allowed to stay here in the U.S. while she applies for asylum. Lester. All right, Gabe, thank you for that. Much more on all this tomorrow in my exclusive interview with Vice President Kamala Harris here in Guatemala City. In just 60 seconds, arrests in that terrible road rage attack that killed a six-year-old boy and the controversy over a new Alzheimer's drug. Promising news tonight for people suffering from Alzheimer's disease. The FDA approving a new drug treatment that may slow the progression of the disease, but it's complicated and controversial. Stephanie Gosk explains. Tonight, hope for the roughly 6 million people suffering from Alzheimer's. The FDA approving the first medical treatment for the disease in 18 years. 
The drug aducanumab developed by the company Biogen attacks the amyloid protein, which builds up in the brains of Alzheimer's patients. The Alzheimer's Association is calling today's approval a victory. That's what Phil Guttis is calling it, too. He took part in the clinical trial and has been taking the drug for five years. My head feels clearer, um, definitely. I'm not cured in any way, shape, or form. But I feel like I have more capacity, more mental capacity than I did four years ago. But the FDA's decision is controversial. The drug is going on the market even though the agency says there are uncertainties regarding clinical benefit and is requiring Biogen to do another clinical trial. The benefit of the drug remains uncertain. Phil Guttis' physician worries about possible side effects, including bleeding in the brain. Where does it leave doctors like yourself when it comes to prescribing this for patients. What, what will you do? Well, first, I need to read the drug's label and read it very closely. I also, as a researcher, really want to learn about the clinical trial that they're proposing to validate the drug's benefits. Today, Biogen announced aducanumab will cost roughly $56,000 a year, a steep price tag for a drug that still has to prove itself. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News. There is a new twist in the cyber attack that crippled the nation's largest pipeline. The Justice Department says the hackers ended up with virtually nothing after the U.S. turned the tables on them. Pete Williams explains how. What thousands of Americans didn't know as they waited in long lines for gasoline after Colonial Pipeline revealed that it was hit with a ransomware attack is that the FBI was already investigating Darkseid, the group in Russia blamed for carrying it out. Colonial, it turns out, quickly told the FBI about the attack, and agents were able to find the Bitcoin account where the ransom was sent. The FBI figured out the password and took nearly all the money back out, says the Deputy Attorney General, Lisa Monaco. Today, we turned the tables on Darkseid. Colonial paid $4.4 million to a Bitcoin account in Northern California, which a judge ordered seized just today, according to the U.S. Attorney in San Francisco. The extortionists will never see this money. Justice Department officials say it's a potent way to take the profit out of ransomware. Lester? All right, Pete Williams tonight. Thank you. After a more than two-week-long manhunt and a reward that grew to over $500,000, two suspects in the road rage shooting that killed a six-year-old boy in California are under arrest. Here's Miguel Almaguer. 15 miles away from where the deadly road rage shooting took place, investigators arrested 24-year-old Marcus Arez and 23-year-old Winnie Lee. The California Highway Patrol says Lee was driving the Volkswagen they had been looking for. Arez was the passenger when a shot was fired from their car, striking this vehicle in the trunk and taking the life of 6-year-old Aiden Laos, who was strapped to his booster seat. We have recovered what we believe are the weapon, and automobile used in the crime. We will get justice for him. Investigators have confirmed Arez's Instagram profile, but have not said if any of the weapons seen in posts from more than a year ago were used in the freeway shooting in Orange. The pair was arrested more than two weeks after the shooting, a half-million-dollar reward generating a flurry of tips. Today, Joanna Clunan buried her son after a memorial service Saturday. They took his life in my heart along with it. He brought so much joy into our hearts. Tonight, heartbreak and now the promise of justice. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. 
Amazon founder Jeff Bezos said today he will ride into space next month aboard his Blue Origin rocket. Bezos and his brother Mark will be among the passengers on the 11-minute flight, which will include three minutes of weightlessness. Up next for us tonight, as home prices soar, I'll look at a movement to create housing that more people can afford. As home prices soar, there is a growing movement to address the issue of affordable housing in California's Bay Area. Some say the solution is to build and build more. Look, there's a jaguar and a, a spider monkey. Megan and Ben Finch hoped to raise their son Jack in San Francisco. It's a wonderful place. But at $3,600 a month for their 800-square-foot walk-up... We have decided to leave the Bay Area and to relocate to Portland, Oregon. She's a lawyer. He's a teacher. About 40% of our take-home income goes to rent. California's Bay Area, home to Google, Facebook, and Apple, is among the most expensive housing markets in the country, where even modest-looking homes list for millions of dollars. We have more people who want to live here than we have housing. So there's a mismatch. We need more. To activist Sonia Trous, the issue is one of supply and demand. She's a leader in a growing nationwide movement known as YIMBY. YIMBY stands for yes in my backyard. It's somebody that says we need more housing. And even if I personally am anxious about my neighborhood changing, I realize there's a greater good and we need more housing, even if it's in my backyard. One of the biggest problems, she says, zoning laws that restrict 82% of residential land in the Bay Area to single-family homes and prevent denser housing multiplexes and townhouses. Single-family zoning was adopted in 1916 uh, to prevent a dance hall in the exclusive Elmwood district, which was predominantly used by African Americans. So it was rooted in racism. It was rooted in racism. Berkeley's mayor, Jesse Aragine, is a convert. Admittedly, once in opposition to much new development, he's now pro-density, in part out of necessity. How do you describe the housing issues in your community? Describe it as an emergency. You know, we're seeing unprecedented levels of homelessness, people that are facing housing insecurity, and I really think the root of the problem is the lack of housing. Rick Hall is president of Livable California, arguing more housing won't make the Bay Area any more affordable. You're never going to get to the point where adding supply at the high end trickles down to help the real people. He wants decisions on zoning made locally and for the focus to be on state-subsidized affordable housing built in commercial districts. If you look at Manhattan or Seattle or Vancouver, Density hasn't made housing affordable. Mayor Aragain believes it will. This is a four-unit property, and as you can see, it really fits into the neighborhood that it's in. He and Berkeley's entire city council are pushing to end single-family zoning to allow for more multiplexes like this, hoping more housing throughout the Bay Area. I feel sad that the place that I envisioned, living my life, raising my kids, that that isn't going to happen will mean fewer tough decisions for families like the Finches. When we come back, I'll have some final thoughts from here in Guatemala. Tonight on this broadcast, our reporting teams have illustrated what's at stake as another administration struggles with how to control America's borders in the face of mass migration. From impoverished and desperate communities here in Guatemala to migrants at the border at the end of a very risky journey to the U.S., 
to a Guatemala farm where I found seeds of prosperity being grown. It's a road well-traveled where ideas are plentiful, success so often elusive. There are safety, security, economic realities at stake, as well as basic human compassion. Political risk goes without saying. Shortly after this newscast, I'll be sitting down with Vice President Kamala Harris, who's been tasked to address the Central America piece of mass migration. We'll talk about her efforts here as well as what's happening on the border. We'll have some of that interview tomorrow morning on Today and, of course, here on Nightly News. That's NBC Nightly News for this Monday from Guatemala City. Thank you for watching, everyone. I'm Lester Holt. Please take care of yourself and each other. Good night. Hey, NBC News viewers, thanks for checking out our YouTube channel. Subscribe by clicking on that button down here and click on any of the videos over here to watch the latest interviews, show highlights and digital exclusives. Thanks for watching. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.